The following audio is from Shiloh Presbyterian Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. More information about Shiloh Presbyterian Church is available at shilohopc.org. Turn, if you will, to Matthew chapter 15, starting at verse 29, reading through to the end of the chapter. You'll find that on page 821 of your Pew Bible. Matthew chapter 15, verse 29 to the end of the chapter, page 821 in the Pew Bible. This is God's word. Let's give our diligent attention to it. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he went up on the mountain and sat down there, and great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, And they put them at his feet, and he healed them, so that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were four thousand men, beside women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Lord, we are blessed simply in reading your word and the wonder of the Savior, his care and love and compassion. And yet, Lord, you have called us also to preach the word and receive the word. And we ask you now, Holy Father, by the great working of your spirit, be pleased to minister unto each one of us this day, ministering life and satisfaction. Reveal the Savior before us in all his wonder and glory and fullness. Fill our hearts with gladness and joy. We thank you. We praise you, Lord God, for your many mercies. In the name of Christ, amen. Please be seated. Well, what we're witnessing in the Gospels is a gradual unfolding, a self-revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's revealing his person, his character, his work, little by little, passage by passage. Last week we saw that our Savior uh, is one who is concerned with physical and spiritual cleansing, a cleansing Savior. And our text today builds on that idea. We see him again as such. Jesus is the Savior who heals by taking away illnesses. 
He is the Savior who heals by taking away illnesses and a Savior who provides by giving sustenance. He takes away what is ill and evil. He gives what is good, taking and giving. And in the process, we learn of our Savior's deep love and the unfathomable resources of the Lord Jesus Christ, taking sins away, taking sickness away, and granting the fullness of himself from righteousness to every blessing that we have in the Savior. We have then a healing and a providing Savior. And that's what we see, first of all, in verses 29 to 31. We see a healing and taking Savior, a healing and taking Savior. And then in verses 32 to the end of the chapter, we see a satisfying and giving Savior, satisfying and giving. First of all, the healing and taking Savior of verses 29 uh, following. If we ask the question, who is Jesus? Who is the Lord Jesus? We could come up with a myriad of answers. Everything from God to a savior to a servant and many things in between. There are many answers to the question, who is Jesus? But one question we must ask as we work our way through gospels is, how is Jesus these things? How is he revealed as God? How is he revealed as servant? How is he here revealed as our Savior? How does he reveal himself as Savior? And I've already tipped my hat when I've said that he is a Savior who takes away, and he is a Savior who gives. A Savior who takes away what is evil and who gives what is good. We see that firstly in this healing Our Lord Jesus Christ taking away the effects of sin just as he takes away sin itself. He takes away the effects of sin and takes away sin. We find him in verse 29 still in the region of Galilee. And we're told he goes once again to a mountain and sits down and great crowds come to him. Did that remind you of anything, friends? Did that remind you of another section of the Gospel of Matthew we've already read and covered? It's the Sermon on the Mount, isn't it? Where we read this in Matthew 5. And seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and he sat down. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. We read almost exactly the same thing here. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there and great crowds came to him. Why is this significant for us? Why is this significant Our Lord is teaching us about his person, his character, and work. And the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus revealed himself through teaching. He revealed himself, he revealed the character of the kingdom, and the character of the kingdom citizen, all from a mount. And now he sits on a mount, revealing himself again and his kingdom, not through teaching, but through action. Through what he does. The character of the kingdom is revealed again in the Savior and King taking illnesses. And apparently taking illnesses from a group of Gentile followers. We'll come back to that in a moment. 
We have a great Savior then. A great Savior who's revealing himself. First through teaching, now through action and on a mountain. I'll let you do the work on the mountain issue, but we've seen it before in Scripture very briefly. Uh, God reveals himself to his people in peculiar ways on mountains. Jesus Christ is going to be crucified on Mount Jerusalem. On Mount Zion is the place where God meets his people. Here then, on another mountain occasion, is the Savior revealing himself through action. And as I said, apparently through a Gentile people. Did you notice in Pastor Rockin's prayer, he prayed about the nations being brought in, joined with the elect, so that they might glorify the God of Israel. He read the text beforehand, you see. Because it says there in verse 31, and they glorified the God of Israel. That's never said about Jewish crowds. It gives the idea that these are people who are following their own gods, their own religions. They've seen the Messiah, they've received his blessing, and now they're following the God of Israel. It's significant, friends, because it re-emphasizes to us the inclusion of those who are not born in covenant, their inclusion into the realms of salvation. That's to say, friends, Jesus adopts the same posture, the same location, as it were, the same attitude towards those who are sick of the Gentiles as he does towards those who are sick of his own people. But even more, we can say, in the context of this passage, it is the Jews who are offended at Christ, chapter 15, verse 1, who reject him, and in their place comes in, first of all, the sick of Gennesaret, chapter 14, verse 34, the Canaanite woman, and now the sick of Galilee, who apparently are of Gentile stock. Before we go any further, friends, and look at this healing, think on this. If this is Jesus' attitude toward the lost, Jesus' attitude towards those who are outside of covenant, what should be our attitude? It should be precisely the same as our saviors. Do we have an eye for the lost? Do we have an eye for the supposed outcast of society? Jesus did. Plain and simple, in a non-negotiable fashion. And we can see this eye that he has for them in the care that he provides them. There's a picture of intimate care, almost of a, a most blessed hospital worker tending to the needs of his patients. We read that Jesus healed them all. Verse 30, great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. What a picture. Crowds ascending the mountainside, bringing with them the lame, bringing with them the crippled, holding the hands of the blind, all coming to him, a laundry list of the sick. Every ailment under the sun, they bring them to the Lord Jesus, and he heals them. No imagined illnesses, like with the modern fake healers, not faith healers. True healing, true sickness. 
people truly afflicted by the general effects of sin. Here are those under the weight and burden of the curse that God put upon all creation, perhaps even in an exceptional fashion, or maybe just the sicknesses of the day. Not many today blind, not many mute, not many crippled, but in the time of our Lord there were many such people. Here we witness the grand scale of the oppression of sin and sickness, and he healed them. He healed them. So much so that the crowd wondered. They wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. Because they saw the Savior take away sickness. Christ Jesus had brought salvation Unto them. We were reminded last week, weren't we, in the prophecy of Isaiah, that there is a close connection between sickness and sin. I don't mean a causal connection, but in the prophecy of Isaiah, we're told that Jesus takes away not only our sins, but our sicknesses. The physical ailment, a picture of the spiritual ailment of sin. He takes it away. And if he can take away sin, we can rest assured he can take away sickness. How did he do it? He died. That's Isaiah's message. Christ died so that sins and sicknesses and death should be taken away. Friends, it took the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, yes, and his resurrection to once for all break the power of the curse, to break the power of death of sickness and as sin friends as great as this healing is and these healings are we need to see them as part of a package a package that christ came to deal with sickness and sin sickness and sin dealt with at the cross We need to be assured then, friends, if we believe our sins have been forgiven as Christians, we ought to rest assured also that our afflictions, even death itself, cannot separate us from the love of God in Christ. If we believe Christ has dealt with sins, most assuredly he can deal with the lesser thing, sickness, even death itself. For the Christian then, Death is not that which separates us from each other or from God. I mean, it does for a moment, but by no means ultimately can it do so. There is no need to fear. There is no need to dread the sicknesses and even the death of this world. They've been overcome by King Jesus. Yes, our Savior is a great Savior who heals. How? By taking sin unto himself. By taking sickness unto himself. But he's not just a Savior who takes, as blessed as that taking is. Truly it is. He's a Savior who gives. And gives out of the fullness of himself. He is a satisfying and a giving 
Savior. Verse 32, we move from a healing miracle to a feeding miracle. There's an important distinction here. In one, Christ is giving goodness by taking away. In the other, he is giving goodness by providing what we need. He takes away what we don't. He provides what we do. And particular note and relevance to us this morning, as we consider this miracle not in all its details, are the two statements Christ makes in verse 32. The scenario is this. The crowds have been with him three days. They have nothing to eat. They're in a desolate place. There is an intense desire by the crowds to be in the presence of Jesus. And Jesus says two things. He says, I have compassion on the crowd. And the second thing he says is this, and I am unwilling to send them away. I have compassion on the crowd and I'm unwilling to send them away. Both statements reveal the heart of our Lord in this situation. The heart of our Lord to sinners. The heart of our Lord is revealed that he he moves towards the problem, not away from the problem. We see his desire and care to provide. We see our Lord's heart of pity for those in great Need. This is really significant. To the scribes and Pharisees, Jesus first appealed to them. When they rejected him, he was stern towards them because they were lost and rebellious in their self righteousness. But to the needy, both physically and spiritually, Christ was always gentle and welcoming and loving and desirous to be with them. He came in a very real sense to meet their needs, both physical and spiritual. Consider the miracle, then, that flows from the heart of the Savior towards these people. We read of 4,000 men, plus women and children, maybe six, seven, eight thousand people there altogether, coming to Christ for healing, and now with no food, in a desolate place, The Savior moves toward them to provide what they need. They're struggling. And Christ says, I have compassion upon them. I am unwilling to send them away. You know, from our Lord's own mouth, we rarely get this kind of insight into his character and heart. We see it plentifully in his teaching. We see it plentiful in his miracles But it's not so frequent that we hear our Lord speak about himself in this way. He's telling us that his heart, his desire, his will is open. More than open, it's positive. It's moving towards. It's desiring to provide. We're getting an insight into the heart of Christ. Thomas Goodwin says, Christ is love covered in flesh. Christ is love covered in flesh. Think on this. The love of Christ from eternity past has intertwined his own heart with the heart of these people. 
and with the heart of you today, dear Christian. Out of love for you, for them, and for his Father, he was prepared to be incarnated, to live, and to die as a curse, so that he might redeem us and provide for us all that we need. We see the need on a grand scale, do we not? But we see a desire in Christ even greater than that, to meet and provide all that was necessary. And not content as a saviour simply to take away the bad stuff, the sickness and the sin, we see he wants to give and give And give until they're satisfied. Friends, the lesson is this. When we are saved, it is not just our sins that are taken away, but we are also given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He's a savior who gives so that the Christian actually lacks nothing. A savior who gives. Here's how our Lord reveals this to us he takes the loaves he takes the fish and he feeds the multitude this is now the second time he has satisfied the people with this kind of miracle and there's food left over we read that they they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over it's just a plain old miracle (laughs) he feeds them and there's food aplenty left over There's great significance in this act, friends. And we see it, first of all, in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament scriptures. The prophecies that the Messiah of God would come to deliver his people, and not just his people, but the nations round about. That's what we appear to be seeing here. The Savior having come, apparently, to a largely Gentile group of people. The promise of salvation coming to Jew and Gentile through the ministry of the Messiah. And on occasion, also in the Old Testament, the blessings of Christ and the whole New Covenant era were occasionally described, how? In terms of food, the feeding of the 4,000. Food is used to describe the fullness of Christ. Listen to Joel chapter 2 and 20, uh, verse 24. The threshing floors shall be full of grain. The vats shall overflow with wine and oil. Picture of the, the blessings of the covenant to come, the Savior to come. Even more so in Joel 3 verse 18. In that day the mountains, notice that. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water, and a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord, and water the valley of Shittim. Or let's go back to Isaiah chapter 25 and verse 6. On this mountain, we read, note that, on this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples... Jew and Gentile, a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. The blessings of life in Christ. But Isaiah does not stop there. Listen to this. And he that is God 
will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, Jew and Gentile. The veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. And what we're seeing here in the feeding of the 4,000, as we saw it before, is just a shadowy picture of that prophecy being fulfilled. From the mountainside, here comes our Lord feeding perhaps the Gentile thousands richly, and there's food to spare. As we'd say in Britain, there's leftovers, food to eat again and again and again. He satisfies them so that they have no want, no lack, no need of anything in that moment. We're getting the impression of Christ being a full savior. That when he gives to his people, though we may feed on him richly, we can never consume all that he is. There's always more. We may eat our fill, though we rarely do, and we'll never exhaust the blessedness of the Savior. We see here the generosity, the care, the fullness, the blessedness of Jesus Christ, and plenty of leftovers. But friends, this idea of feeding... And the gospel attached to it and the the blessings of the new covenant really finds its fullest expression not in what Christ provides, but in Christ himself. The person, the God-man, Jesus Christ. Turn over if you want to to John 6, John chapter 6 and verse 35. Twice now he has sustained his people with bread. And John 6.35, most of you, well, some of you will know it, surely. Jesus says what? I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Why? Because he's the bread of life. He says then in verse 52, the Jews dispute. They say, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? But Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus is the bread of life. Both in what our Lord says in John and in our passage before us, verse 36, he took the seven loaves and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples. What have we got an image of? This table. This very table before us now echoes intentionally in scripture that we might see here what we see here the savior feeding and providing his people not with a benefit 
though he most assuredly gives us benefits, but himself. He gives us himself. I am his, and he is mine, says the hymn. And what he gives us, his righteousness, holiness, status as sons and daughters, upon whom grace upon grace is lavished, but above all those blessings, he gives us himself. He gives us himself. Friends, I want to ask you, have you tasted and savoured the goodness of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I want you to consider your relationship with Christ for a moment, your love for him, your commitment to him. If there's any one of you here today that's not a child of God by faith in Christ, I want to say you exist outside of this beautiful relationship. Your sins are not removed, you will answer for them yourself. And your life does not have the fullness of blessing in Christ. And we would urge you, dearest friend, repent today. Come to Christ. Why would you not have this? Would you hold on to the meager crumbs of this world? No, enjoy the Savior. Have him as your fullness. Every blessing there is to be had, had is to be had in him. But perhaps you're here today and you're not in the realm of unbelief, but you're struggling with your relationship with God. You struggle against your own sins and you can't possibly imagine that God has forgiven your sins or that you're not worthy enough to receive Jesus Christ. I want you to hear this. Did the lame get up and walk to Christ to be healed? Did the blind see him on the mountainside and make their own way to him? Could the mute cry out to him for help? Could the crippled suddenly get up and walk to the Savior? You know the answer. And yet still, Jesus healed them. And yet still, Jesus fed them. It's the same for sinners here today. It's the same for sinners. You cannot possibly make yourself worthy of salvation. If you think you can, that puts you outside of the realms of salvation. Here you are today, dear friend. As it were at the feet of Jesus having been brought here maybe by your family having come here for one reason or another here you are at the feet of Christ God speaking to his people through word and preaching regardless of your sin regardless of your failure regardless of your weak faith or your doubts simply receive him it's all you have to do believe in him Trust in him. Come to him for grace, for repentance, for the most blessed filling 
that a person can know. No works, no worthiness, no self-righteousness with King Jesus. Come broken and sinful and repentant and he will fill you with himself. He says to such people, I will never cast you out. Did you hear that? Christian, I will never cast you out. Because when he gives himself, he gives himself unreservedly and fully to the Christian. Doubt him not. He's full of power, full of strength, full of compassion, full of mercy, full of daily sustaining grace for you, dear Christian. Don't these passages really sum up what it says in Shorter Catechism 1 about the chief end of man? Man's chief end is what? Glorify God and enjoy him forever. We read there in Matthew 15, verse 31, they glorified the God of Israel. They glorified him because they saw his mighty works. And then what happened? They enjoyed him. He fed them. He met their needs. Moreover, he revealed himself to them. He said to them, this is who I am to you. Delight in it. Delight in me, he says. Enjoy the Savior. The Christian can enjoy God. I want to ask you, friend, are you enjoying God? Are you enjoying God? It's possible. It's real. It's beautiful. This passage ultimately is a picture of of what our Lord has done for us at the cross of Calvary. He's a wonderful saviour, isn't he? He's taken our sin. He's taken sickness. He's taken death. He's taken the curse and taken it from us and taken it upon himself. And then what's he done? He's given to us. Grace, peace, mercy, joy, hope, fulfilment, fullness. The list goes on. Hear this. At the cross, Jesus takes from us what separates us from God and in himself gives us what brings us to God. The giving and the taking, the taking and the giving Savior. May God grant us grace to receive that Savior, to glorify that Savior and to enjoy that Savior all the days of our lives. Let's pray.